Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bethel Seminary Podcast. I'm Dr. Peter Vogt. I'm your host today. And today we have a special guest with us. Uh, Denise Muir-Kiesbo is Professor of Children and Family Ministry at Bethel Seminary. She also directs the Corey Center at Bethel Seminary, or affiliated with Bethel Seminary. She serves as a discipleship pastor at her church in Sioux Falls called The Point, and there she works on discipleship for children, youth, and, and adult discipleship. So, Denise, thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. Thank you, Peter. It's my privilege to be here. Well, I want to dive in uh, and start talking about the topic at hand, and our title for this podcast is The Most Important Ministry of the Church. Denise, what is the most important ministry in the church? Well, Peter, from my perspective and from the perspective of many in our world today, I can unabashedly say that the most important ministry in the church is ministry with children. That may surprise some. That may cause others to uh, furrow their brows. But I would say without a doubt, that is the most important ministry in the church. Well, as a professor of Old Testament, I, I don't know, I might have to argue with you a little <laughs> bit and, and question that, but no, uh, that's a... Ah, but Peter, as a professor of uh, Old Testament focused in Deuteronomy, you know the importance of the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, and it compels us to invest in children with the truths of Scripture when we're coming and going, sitting down, rising up, whether we're in and out, up or down, no matter what, the greatest truths of Scripture are to be placed within the hearts and minds of children. Well, you're absolutely right. And of course, I'm, I'm teasing you when I, I question that, because as a father of five kids, I recognize so much the importance mm-hmm. of ministry to children. So I want to mm-hmm. unpack this mm-hmm. a little bit, uh, how, how this is seen and what the, the implications of this idea might be, particularly for our audience, that is, people who are in ministry, leading churches, serving in in the local church. Who is affirming mm-hmm. this idea that this is the most important ministry of the church, besides you and me? Okay. So just recently, I attended a seminar by George Barna called Faith at Home Revealed, May 23rd, in the Twin Cities. And I was so thrilled that the book that George Barna had written uh, many years ago called Transforming Your Children into Spiritual Champions, he is now putting all of his energy into children's ministry. So George started this seminar with saying this. This is his audacious thought. Ministry to children should be the primary focus of the church. He said, I regret the fact that I have taken uh, my energies and placed it elsewhere, and from here on in my life, all of my energy is going to be placed in serving children, their parents, and the church in children's ministry. Um, that's pretty powerful. Yeah. Uh, he said the foundational reality is that all of life is a journey uh, for the heart, mind, and soul of every person, and we know disciples are made not born. And so the role of the local church, the role of parents, is to invest in the spiritual nurture of children. The role of the church is to partner with parents, when they are followers of Jesus, and to reach out to children, I would say, uh, who come from homes where faith is not present. Hmm. And so it's absolutely crucial, a foundational reality. Um, we must, we must invest in children. So that's a North American voice, but there are global voices as well. Probably your listeners and you are familiar with a concept called the 1040 window. Mm-hmm. It's a missional geographic initiative that says, 
The most unreached people groups live between the 10th and 40th parallels north of the equator. They have the lowest uh, socioeconomic level, the least access to the Christian message, the least access to Christian resources. So for many years, all the missional emphasis was placed in this 1040 window. But a few years ago, about 10 years ago, 15 years ago, um, a concept that had been floated by Dr. Dan Brewster really took hold when missiologist Louise Bush uh, came alongside, and it moved from a geographic window to a demographic window. And the demographic window is called the 414 window. Hmm. And they together said, if we want to see global transformation, local, national, global transformation, we need to pour our energies into children and middle schoolers who are, have the greatest receptivity, the greatest responsiveness, and opportunity for a lifetime of discipleship and service. Um, and we invest in children between the ages of 4 and 14, and we will see global transformation. And then wow. finally, I would just say uh, Dwight Moody, the classic evangelist, the story is told of him returning home from a night of evangelistic meetings and his wife asking him how it went, how many responded to the call of discipleship. And he said, two and a half tonight. And she said, oh, that's sweet. How old was the child? And he said, no, no, no. Two children and one adult. <laughs> the children have their entire lives to live. The adult's life is half over. Wow. So from historical evangelists to contemporary researchers that have made a huge impact on the North American church and George Barna, to our global brothers and sisters and missiologists, the voices are converging and saying children are the most important ministry of the local church. Wow, that's fascinating. And I want to just follow up a little bit on that. Do you have statistics? I you you probably know them better than I do, but about the the percentages of of people when they commit their lives to Christ. I remember reading something about this at one time mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. how likely someone is at at various ages. Do you do you happen to know that Denise and have that at your fingertips? Yeah, I do. And there are different um, statistics that are pulled out at different times. Sometimes you'll see. 80 to 85 percent. Sometimes you'll see 90 percent uh, before the age of 18. Hmm. But we have seen that before the age of 14, it is um, 80 to 85 percent of all adults will have made a first-time commitment to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior prior to the age of 14. Wow. And after the age of 14, the stats start to dip. Then after 18, they really plummet. And it makes sense because a child's worldview, a person's worldview, is formed between the ages of 18 months and 13 years of age. Hmm. That is everything. Their understanding of faith, their understanding of life, their their values, everything is pretty well formed by the age of 13. So that includes their view of God. And so after that, it is very difficult. It's like wet cement that you can make a difference in, you can pour, you can shape. By age 13, the cement starts to harden up, and by age 18, it's pretty firm, and all of a sudden you need a chisel hmm. rather than simply redirecting the flow. Wow. Wow, that's that's sobering to think about that and those statistics. That's That does emphasize the importance of this. Absolutely, absolutely. That's why I always say we need our best and our brightest in children's ministry. We need our best biblical scholars, our best theologians, our best developmentalists, our best teachers. We need them 
ministering to children because that's where our lifelong understanding of the world, understanding of God is formed. Hmm. And if we give them bad theology, if we give them poor hermeneutics, uh, they will carry those into their youth and adulthood. And until it is confronted, they won't even understand that they have a misunderstanding of who God is, mm-hmm. what the purpose of the church is. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely incredible to think about how important children's ministry is. Well, and I think it's, it really does turn some things on its head when you think about it that yeah. way, because I think the tendency in the local mm-hmm. church is often to sort of just put anybody in children's ministry because they're kids. Yep. And, and yep. so you can teach them Bible stories and it doesn't really matter. And I've long believed both as a, a teacher of hermeneutics and as a parent that we're, we're really going about this the wrong way. I, I think mm-hmm. about my kids who have been in a lot of you know great churches and, and a number of good programs and things, but oftentimes they've at different points said to me, are these the only stories that are in the Bible? And, and mm. because they're getting the same stories over and over again. And, mm-hmm. and frankly, not always the best, uh, the best teaching on that. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think I remember it was probably a conversation with you at some point when that the major publishers of children's curriculum for Sunday school, they have very few, if any, people who are theologically trained on their on their staff. Is that is that still the case, or am I remembering that right? That has been the case, but some of that is changing. The denominational publishers tend to have pastors and those trained in their seminaries who mm-hmm. are present on their uh, curriculum development processes. The interdenominational publishers tend to have writers, educators, developmentalists, and maybe one or two people who have theological training. Hmm. Um, I'm pleased to say that one of our recent uh, Master of Arts in Children's and Family Ministry degree uh, graduates has moved to a major publisher and has a very significant role in uh, looking at curriculum and determining its theological, its hermeneutical perspective. That's and so great. we're having impact, but oftentimes curriculum publishers, the independent non-denominational curriculum publishers are looking for writers, educators, um, not necessarily pastors, theologians, seminary grads. Hmm. Wow. Well, I, I've always kind of adopted the, the mindset that says we, we need to teach the truth of Scripture, the meaning of a passage to anybody, mm-hmm. whether they're adults or children, but we have, to, we have to frame it differently. I think sometimes the approach has been sort of, well, we don't it doesn't really matter what we're teaching kids as long as they're entertained or, or something like that. But I've, I've often thought we just need to, we still need to know the meaning of the text. We still need to understand mm-hmm. it, but then we have to package it in a way that's going to make sense for, for a child. Uh, but it's right. the same meaning that we're teaching to the adults. And that's why we need our best and brightest. Yeah. Because I would say anybody can teach an adult, but <laughs> not just anybody can teach a child. Yeah. Because you have to do that translation in a developmentally appropriate way, yet retaining the true meaning of the scripture, utilizing a good hermeneutic, and making it developmentally appropriate, methodologically intriguing. All of those things have to happen when you minister to children. So the methods that are used in you know, upper youth and adult discipleship don't work for children. So it's the same meaning, but it has to be transferred 
that's why it's an intercultural experience. Mm, Wow. (laughs) Um, It's an intergenerational, intercultural experience. So again, we need our best and brightest in children's ministry. Well, as you, it's interesting you comment on that as an, an intercultural experience. I think any any parent of a teenager can attest to the fact that it is a, it is a different culture. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So this is this is really helpful. And thinking about the importance of it, what let's transition a little bit in the in the time we have to think about how should the local church respond. So this is mm-hmm. so important as you've as you've said, you made a persuasive case for that. How how should the local church respond? What what advice do you have? Yeah. Well, first of all, I I want to just share some thoughts, and some of these come from the Barna seminar that I attended about how does ministry to children impact a local church. Mm. Uh, Barna said, and we see this over and over again: children motivate adults, whether it's parents, grandparents, guardians, caregivers, to attend church. So children are motivators. If children are loving what they're experiencing at church, they will talk to their parents, grandparents, and um, motivate them to be involved and, and get them to church. Children are dependent on the adults in their lives to get them there. So if they're having a great experience in children's ministry, they will motivate the parents, grandparents, guardians, caregivers to go to church. Hmm. And we also know that adults are more likely to attend church if they went when they were children. Mm-hmm. Now, we've heard a lot about a lot of people falling off. That is true. But if you talk to the people who are still going to church, the percentage of them who went when they were children is significantly higher than those who are attending church who never went to church as a child. Hmm. Interesting. Um, we, ha- we know that children are the church of today. They have value for today but they are also tomorrow's church leaders. So as we invest in children today, we are investing in the sustainability, longevity, health of the church for the long haul. Um, Children are natural, fearless evangelists. They share their love for Jesus with others. And as they do that, that brings vibrancy and life to the local church. And um, so it's, it's really crucial that church leaders understand Ministering to children is not just about children. Mm. It would be worthwhile doing if it were only about children. So we don't use children to get to adults, but we acknowledge the fact that when we serve children, there are amazing benefits to the church as a whole in some of these things I've just mentioned. Um, so wow. that's I, how it impacts the local church from my perspective. Yeah. Well, I, I see that in my own family, that my youngest kids uh, are mm-hmm. the ones who are asking. Mm-hmm. Right now, I have twins that are seven, and, and they're basically asking everybody, are you a Christian? And they want to they yep. help people understand. They, they want to categorize people, so they want to know, is this person in our life, are they a Christian? And, but then they'll go and talk to them and say, do you love Jesus? And, and yep. sometimes it's awkward, <laughs> and yeah. yet it's yeah. uh, it's refreshing and they're certainly not afraid to to just ask anybody that question and yeah it's it's amazing yeah it's amazing and so we need to link arms and partner with children in that rather than always ministering only to them Hmm. we need to minister with them Hmm. and equip them and empower them with their natural um fervor that's present they talk about what's important to them without without regard to whether it's um, their latest 
video game or their love for Jesus. Mm -hmm. You know, they are going to talk about what's important to them. Hmm. So we need to link arms with children and minister alongside them, not just to them. Wow, that's great. Yeah. So what thoughts do you have about how how should the local church then do this? Uh, how do we begin yeah. to focus on children? What's what's some of the, the practical application of this? Somebody who's maybe listening to this and thinking this is this is really, really important. I want to mm-hmm. do something about this. Where do I start? Yeah. I, I want to say one more thing. I think sure. we need to acknowledge the fact that children are prized targets for commercial marketers. Hmm. So we need to sit up and take notice of that. If the church does not value them at the same level or higher as marketers, like something's wrong, you know, and we don't value them as a marketing commodity, but we need to sit up and take notice at the marketing that's being done to children Hmm. and realize there, there's a reason that marketers are targeting children. Hmm. And for much better reasons, the church needs to invest in children. And also from a spiritual perspective, if the forces of evil want to wreak havoc in families in the church, they will target children. Sure. So the forces of good need to meet them head to head and invest in children. So, yeah. Wow, that's that's a really interesting insight about marketing to children. That's 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 so true. And Yeah. That's what we're competing against in one sense and both in terms of attention but also in terms of value. We have to value that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so how should the church respond? I would say uh, prioritize children. And what does that look like? Um, I have several things that I would encourage any local church to do. So first of all, prioritizing children means prioritizing ministry with their parents. Parents are the primary faith nurturers of their children. So if there are parents who are going to your church bringing their children your job in the church is to partner with those parents, hmm. empower those parents. How do you do that? You invest in adult discipleship. They can't give what they do not have. Hmm. I often talk about when parents get bumped, when any of us get bumped when we're around children, and if you're around children much, you get bumped all the time. Yeah. We have to ask ourselves, what spills out? Is it love for Jesus? Hmm. Is it lifelong discipleship? Or is it, I mean, is it the fruits of the Spirit? Or is it frustration, anger, impatience, annoyance, wishing they would get out of our way? Hmm. You know, unfortunately, that's often what happens when children bump into adults, including their parents or grandparents. So we need to invest in in adult discipleship so that parents are growing. Hmm. We also need to invest in um, parents as really our partners. And what that looks like is, Family ministry is not a program. It's a perspective that's brought to the church. So there are a variety of things you can do as you invest in parents and grandparents who are the second rung. Parents are the most important. Faith nurturers, grandparents are the second most important. Hmm. And there's a huge new movement that's sweeping the nation uh, on grandparenting ministry, acknowledging the fact that grandparents have a role in informing faith in their grandchildren. So invest in parents, invest in grandparents, equip and empower them as they're the primary faith nurturers of their children and realize it's not just about a program, it's a perspective. The things you can do is look at your church calendar and see how are the ministries that are being offered? How do they divide the family versus bring the family together? Hmm. What kinds of things are being done that can equip parents and grandparents to invest in their grandchildren? 
Look at the curriculum you choose. Does it see parents, grandparents, guardians as partners, or does it place all the responsibility for spiritual formation on the Sunday school teacher, the midweek leader, the youth leader? Hmm. There is great curriculum out there now that has a primary focus on equipping parents. So hmm. whether it's Reggie Joyner's Orange Curriculum, Group's Faith Weaver Curriculum, David C. Cook's True Curriculum, make sure that the curriculum you're using prioritizes parents and grandparents. Hmm. You can provide family-friendly events where you demonstrate and empower parents so that they can actually practice faith practices with their child in the presence of others. Hmm. You can invest in milestones where you equip parents to be the ones who invest in these significant faith milestones. You can empower parents and grandparents, guardians to serve together with children. There are new findings um, that are showing the importance of service. Hmm. Uh, one, one study said that you can double the likelihood of children remaining in faith when they come to um, young adulthood if they have faith conversations with mom and dad, if they experience faith practices in the home, and if there is service that has happened by the family together. So the church can equip and empower families in service together. Wow. And that will help the integration of faith into the life of all of the family members, mm-hmm. but especially children. Hmm. Let me ask you this, going back to the curriculum and how they yeah. are designed to empower parents, uh, that, what does that mm-hmm. look like? Uh, what, what are they doing mm-hmm. to, to do that? Yep. Good question. So let's look at uh, Reggie Joyner's orange curriculum. So they say that the uh, red and yellow, church and home come together and make orange. That's mm-hmm. the concept of orange, church and home together. Church is red, home is yellow, together they make orange. Okay. So what does that look like? It means that they have um, parent a parent cue app that parents can put on their phone that gives them regular updates and prompts that are developmentally appropriate to invest in the faith of their child. The curriculum is designed to provide parents with tools that can reinforce what's being taught in the home. A true curriculum, which was put together um, by um, by Cook, they had uh, taken it from uh, Michelle Anthony, and Michelle Anthony is the one who developed the curriculum, and then Cook uh, brought it into their stream of curriculum. They had a very innovative approach where they did, had the parents do the pre-teach. So the parents taught the story at home first, and then the church reinforced it when the child got there on Sunday or midweek. Mm, so the parents were the first rung. They also, at the end of every um, gathering with children, parents or grandparents or caregivers, whoever brings the child to church, neighbors, they come in and they join in a blessing of the children. Hmm. So there's this bookending of faith, parents, grandparents, caregivers teaching it at home first, church teaching it, then parents coming back in and participating in a blessing. So this beautiful bookending of the family. Hmm. Um, groups Faith Weaver utilizes a unified curriculum approach. So everybody in the family studies the same lesson on the same day, which means you can have conversations at home Hmm. about the scripture at developmentally appropriate levels, whether they're preschoolers, teenagers, or adults. 
And so they actually have this unified approach in which everyone in the family studies the same thing the same day. Then parents are given prompts, cues, helps in how to invest in that. There's a midweek family devotional that's provided. There's obviously the take-home paper and equipping parents and grandparents and caregivers to actually utilize the take-home paper, um, making it something that comes to the family digitally so that the take-home paper that becomes a paper airplane on the way out of the church (laughs) doesn't lose its effectiveness, but it shows up on their parents' email, on the church website, on a family-focused um, social media, like it could be a, a Facebook group, it could be uh, Snapchat, it could be a variety of things in which the church reinforces in the lives of parents the truths that are taught when they have their children with the, with the church. Now it can be taught in the home. Hmm. So there's all kinds of creative, innov- innovative ways, but I would encourage people to look at their curriculum and make sure their church curriculum is partnering with parents well. Yeah. That's great, and those are some really interesting ideas. Um, yeah, uh, how to do that? That's that's great. I would I would go on and say though, not only do we need to equip and empower parents, we need to look at how we spend our staffing dollars in the church. Hmm. Again, you need your best and your brightest in children's ministry. Hmm. That means you have to probably pay someone <laughs> or uh, target your best leaders to move into children's ministry. So staffing. We need to be paying people who can pastor children and families, mm-hmm. who can equip and empower parents, who understand this. So where are your staffing dollars going? Look at your facility. How are you using your facility? Do the kids get the basement furnace room mm. and the adults get the oak room? You know, mm. I mean, it's two different things for adult discipleship versus children's discipleship. Children need to be given the best space in the facility. It needs to be well-suited to their learning needs rather than leftover space. How are you spending your church budget dollars? A significant portion should be budgeted for children's ministry, staffing, leadership development, children's ministry programming, and outreaching to the community. And then I would say there needs to be a spirit of children's ministry. This was talked about a few years ago. Uh, by a, a massive youth ministry study, they said there needs to be a spirit of youth ministry in the church if we want to transform churches um, to really make a difference in the lives of youth and and call this um, or or take back um, the sense that that youth are leaving the church. Well, we need to have a spirit of youth ministry in the church that it's everybody's responsibility. Mm. I would echo that for children. Children's sure. ministry, whether you're a nursery attendant a midweek leader, a vacation Bible school station leader, a Sunday school teacher, or simply someone in the congregation who notices children, who smiles at children, Mm. who encourages their parents. We need to have a spirit of children's ministry so that all the people in the church understand, as Deuteronomy 6 says, that we are all responsible for the children in the church, the children in the faith community, not just the parents. That it was a collective community in Deuteronomy. It's a collective community today. Hmm. Well said. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Yeah. Well, we're almost out of time for this episode. Is there any resources that you would highly recommend for our listeners that they can take a look at as they do this? We can put in the show notes maybe links to these 
various um, curricula that you were talking about, but are there, is there anything that you would recommend that someone who, who wants to embrace this as a, the most important ministry of the church, what they might mm-hmm. look at to do? Yeah, I, I mentioned the, it's almost a classic now, but the, the Barnes book um, regarding transforming our children into spiritual champions. I would also affirm the book called Children Matter, um, I'll put the bibliographic information in there for you. It's just a powerful book, uh, very, very helpful, kind of a classic children's ministry textbook. And I would also say there's a book that's just fresh off the press from the Barna Group called Households of Faith. Hmm. I'll put the information there as well. But they basically say the way that we can see a vibrant faith households is to see three things going on spiritual practices where families are praying together, reading the Bible together, reading Bible story books with younger children, where there are spiritual conversations, where people regularly talk about God. And here was the new thing that this research found, hospitality, Hmm. opening your home, welcoming non-family members regularly into your home. And so the church has something to do about this. They can encourage families to get together. Hmm. They can encourage families to connect with one another in their homes. This can help provide spiritual vibrancy and households of faith. So there's some great resources. I'll give a few more of them. We'll put them in the notes. But my my heart cry would be that for the listeners who have stuck with us throughout this podcast is that they would have a new understanding. Children's ministry is not babysitting. Hmm. It is not some kind of sanctified YMCA experience (laughs) for children. It is truly ministry that is transformational and holds the greatest hope for global transformation by investing in the hearts and lives of children. Wow. Well, Denise, you you certainly make a, a strong case for that, and this has been great to have this conversation. I'd love to have you back on the podcast for future episodes, and we can talk further about this and, and other things. But thank you so much for being a part of the podcast today. Sounds great. Thank you, Peter. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Bethel Seminary Podcast. If you have feedback for us or suggestions of topics you'd like to see us cover, uh, there'll be an an email in the show notes that you can uh, click on and submit that feedback. I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Whole and Holy. This podcast is a production of Bethel Seminary in collaboration with Bethel University's Office of Church Relations. Please share your feedback with us, including ideas you'd like to see in future episodes, by emailing us at wholeandholy at bethel.edu. Once again, that address is wholeandholy at bethel.edu. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.